0: first of all, we'd like to welcome you to a brand new edition of The Jazz Show, the first of 2019. And uh, of course, I would like to wish each and every one of you out there a very happy new year and hope that uh, this year brings you all the things that you wish for, happiness as well. And, uh, some measure of satisfaction with uh, whatever is going on in the world at this time. We have a very special series of jazz features, beginning with um, what we are going to present this evening. And we're going to look back 60 years to the year 1959. It's not that we want to get terribly nostalgic or anything like that. In jazz music, uh, listening to something out of the 50s doesn't necessarily mean it's going to sound dated. Um, (laughs) There is some music from the 50s that sounds very dated. Jazz music is an art form and generally doesn't uh, uh, date particularly. um, uh, It stays with us and it's still very relevant and it's relevant to the way jazz is being played today. Anyway, uh with that out of the way, 1959 was a very very productive year in terms of classic recordings being made. And there's been articles written about all the uh, all the recordings um many of them now uh, classics, essential recordings that everyone should have if even if they are um, even mildly interested in jazz, they should own these recordings. Now, I've picked out four because there's only four Mondays in January. And I picked out four, and I'll also return to this format um, sometime later on in the year with some more. But I picked out four uh, for this month, and we're going to begin with one of the best selling albums of all time. Jazz albums, that is. And, of course, one of the most iconic Miles Davis albums. And, of course, you probably know it's going to be, of course, kind of blue. Now, this is a recording. I know this for a fact. I have given this recording to people that have absolutely no interest in jazz, have never listened to it, and I've suggested, uh, they've asked me, you know, if there's one recording um that you could recommend that we might like and i say well you don't you guys don't like jazz particularly okay i will recommend a recording and of course i inevitably recommend kind of blue and every reaction from these people that don't necessarily listen to jazz or even like it say this is incredible music. Somehow it transcends and has transcended um, being just another great jazz recording. Um, The music is somehow appealing. Uh, I can think of many reasons why. Uh, It's not particularly busy Um, which sometimes puts people off jazz. They say, oh, it it just goes by so fast. It's all those notes and uh, these tempos that you can't even pat your feet to, this sort of thing. Um, Everything on this recording is um, uh, really, uh, uh, the tempos are all very reasonable. Um, The music is lyrical. Uh, but it, th- there's there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, this is why this particular recording is at the top of the list in terms of iconic recordings. And it was done in the year 1959. So this is our, our first. Miles Davis's famous recording, Kind of Blue. And uh, we'll have three more after this uh, on successive Mondays. So... We're going to play this recording a little differently. Now, many of the pieces uh, you have heard on the radio, uh, you may own the album, and um, have have heard how it is arranged on the either the vinyl recording or the CD. What we're going to do this evening is play in the order of... Um, the way the musicians recorded this particular session. It was done in two um, recording sessions. Uh, the first one was done March the 2nd, 1959, at Columbia's 30, uh, uh, 30th Street Studios in the afternoon and the evening of March the 2nd, 1959. And the second session took place April twenty second, Earth Day, in nineteen fifty nine, from two thirty to five thirty, at uh, the same location. So, we're going to um, play the way uh, play this and feature the music the way the musicians uh, in in the actual recording order that they uh, uh, that they did these. Now, the first session included. Miles Davis brought in two piano players. Now, I'll tell you the personnel, of course, and I'm sure everybody knows. Miles Davis on trumpet, Cannonball Adderley, Julian Adderley on alto saxophone, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Paul Chambers on bass, and Jimmy Cobb on drums. And Miles' regular pianist at this time was Wynton Kelly. And uh, he had replaced Bill Evans. Bill left the band in September of 1958. And I do believe that Miles and Bill continued to talk even after he had left the band. And there's a certain amount of collaboration between the two, although Miles Davis took credit for all the tunes I firmly believe that Bill Evans had a huge input on here. And Miles um, brought him in uh, to play with the exception of one tune uh, on on all of the tunes that were done uh, on these two recording sessions. So Bill Evans came back. Now, the first tune that they recorded features Miles' regular piano player, Wynton Kelly. And the reason for that is that Miles felt that Wynton Kelly, um, his feel for the blues, because the first piece of music was a blues, a 12-bar blues, um, that Wynton Kelly was just more appropriate to play this particular tune than uh, Bill Evans. And it wasn't disrespecting Bill Evans, it's just that Miles was such an astute leader. He knew what was best for the music. And so Wynton Kelly plays only on one tune, and it's the first tune that the band recorded. And uh, that first tune is Miles Davis's composition dedicated to a Greenwich Village character by the name of Freddie Freeloader, and that's the title tune. That's the title of the tune, and um, it features, it actually opens with a Wynton Kelly piano solo as well. And uh, he just sets the whole groove for the tune, and it's a great start to the session. The second piece of music, now Bill Evans comes in and um, replaces Wynton Kelly, and the second piece of music is one of the most famous um, Miles Davis compositions, and it entered into his band's regular repertoire, and of course that's the great tune, So What?, Tune number three from this first session wraps everything up with a beautiful composition entitled Blue and Green. Interestingly enough, Miles never recorded this tune or never played this tune after this recording. But Bill Evans, when he formed his piano trio, played this tune right up until his death. It became a regular part of Bill Evans' repertoire was the tune Blue and Green. So those three tunes um, comprise the first recording session done in March of 1959. "Freddie Freeloader, So What, and Blue and Green. Then we go to a month later, the April 22nd session. Bill Evans, of course, is still on piano. And we're going to hear uh, an interesting first take of uh, Miles Davis' composition called Flamenco Sketches. And it's got its own kind of beauty. But the master take of Flamenco Sketches uh, explores that beauty in a much deeper fashion. And of course, that was the one that everyone listened to. So uh, alternate, first of all, an alternate take of Flamenco Sketches, then the master take of Flamenco Sketches. The final tune was done in one take. And this is a tune that also entered into Miles' regular repertoire. And, of course, it's the very famous All Blues. And that wraps up um, all of the tunes done on this legendary recording session. So that's it. So once again... Miles Davis on trumpet, Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Wynton Kelly on piano on the first tune, and Bill Evans on the rest of the tunes, Paul Chambers on bass, and Jimmy Cobb on drums, and we open our jazz feature with Freddie Freeloader.
1: Thank Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
0: And of course, that was our jazz feature for this evening, beginning the year 2009 with a very, very special recording. And we heard this recording also um, in the order that the musicians played this music over a of two recording sessions done in New York City at Columbia 30th Street Studio. The first recording session was done on March the 2nd, and the second one was uh, completed the album on April 22nd, 1959. And this is part of our jazz feature. Uh, We're going back to that iconic year, 1959, when so many important recordings were made, and I felt that this was Probably the most iconic of all, um, an album which has really transcended um, jazz music. There's so many people that own this album that have limited or no interest in jazz, and yet they love this album. Uh, The music somehow transcends categorized um, categories or labels or anything like that. And, of course, we listen to um, people involved here, Miles Davis on trumpet, who... Um, composed all of the music here, and Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, and the band's regular pianist, Wynton Kelly, appeared on the first tune only, and the other tunes, Bill Evans, um, played on all the remaining tunes and Bill was uh, had left the band officially back in uh, September of 1958 after playing Six Months with Miles. And um, they kept in touch with one another. And I do believe that Bill Evans had a large input into this music. Um, I think of it more as a collaboration between Miles Davis and Bill Evans, even though Miles did take... Uh, sole composer credit for all the tunes the um, rhythm section of course paul chambers on bass and the only living member of this incredible band jimmy cobb on drums and of course he's still very active in new york he's 84 and he's still playing gigs all the time and uh, sounds as good as he always has the first recording session took place, as I mentioned, March the 2nd, 1959, and the first tune recorded featured the band's regular pianist, um, Wynton Kelly. The tune was the 12 bar blues and called Freddy Freeloader after a Greenwich Village character. And Miles felt that Wynton Kelly uh, would give this particular tune his unique feel. And, of course, uh, if you were listening when we began uh, the program, uh, Wynton Kelly took the first solo on Freddie Freeloader. Then Bill Evans took over the chair at piano, and we listened to, of course, uh, one of Miles Davis's most iconic compositions. And uh, I use that word a lot, iconic, but that's what this album is. And uh, we listened to So What?, And, of course, that became uh, a part of Miles' regular repertoire, and he played that tune right up until about 1967. Tune number three on the March uh, session was the beautiful Blue in Green, and Cannonball Adderley did not play on this tune. Uh, Blue in Green, Miles, of course, took the composer credit on this tune, but uh, the interesting thing is, is that Bill Evans ended up playing this tune until his death. Um, it became a big part of Bill Evans' regular repertoire in his trio. And Miles um, never played the tune again after this recording session. So we move now to the second uh, recording session, done April twenty second, 1959, to complete the album. And we heard... Um, the first take of a beautiful piece of music entitled Flamenco Sketches. And that had its own kind of beauty, but the second master take of that tune that everybody uh, who knows this album is familiar with really plums the depths of sadness and beauty and reflection. So we heard Flamenco Sketches, two versions of it. And the final tune was done in one take, and that's another tune that um, became a part of Miles Davis's repertoire, and that, of course, is the very famous All Blues, and that wraps up the recording. So, the first of our marvelous classic recordings from the year 1959, 60 short years ago. And this music is eternal. People will be listening to it 60 years from now and still marveling at the beauty of, uh, of this music. Jazz music being an art form um, doesn't date um, as other styles of music do. And uh, these recordings remain with us. And, of course, they're part and parcel of any essential um, jazz collection as well. So that was the first Kind of Blue, Miles Davis. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is our first show for 2019. Already, huh? And, of course, uh, again, if you've just joined us, um, this is our first show, and I wish you, uh, anybody out there listening, a very happy new year. We're going to pay tribute to a young lady. I had some very, very sad news delivered um, today. And, of course, it's all over uh, the Internet. And Vancouver, the Vancouver music community is just absolutely devastated. One of the most promising young singers, whose name is Natasha D'Agostino, died in a car accident. And she was just at the beginning of um, one of the most promising musical careers in Vancouver. All the major singers here, and we have lots of them, people like Jennifer Scott, Karen Plato, Kate Hammett Vaughn, all looked upon uh, Natasha D'Agostino as someone of incredible promise. She did put an album out. We listened to it um, fairly extensively before Christmas, and um, it was so wonderful because uh, Natasha somehow heard um, that particular program and called me the next day and thanked me for playing the music. We're going to hear some more music by Natasha D'Agostino in honor of her untimely passing. This uh, beautiful young lady was a graduate of... uh, Uh, Capilano University, uh, the music program, and she was just on her way to uh, becoming a major singing sensation here in Vancouver. And, of course, uh, it's so sad that we have lost her. We'll be paying tribute to Natasha D'Agostino by playing some music from her album Endings Rarely Are right after these messages. And you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, live streaming, www.citr.ca. And we shall return right after these messages. You're invited to the launch party of Noise Complaint, a brand-new podcast from CITR 101.9 FM. The party is on Friday, January 18th at the Avant Garden with live performances from Maneater and Hope. Doors at 9pm and bands at 10pm. Are you a friend of ours who loves to get discounts?
1: Come down to CITR with deals and you can count. We've partnered with some local businesses.
0: So come down to us to get your car before it's too late. As a member of CITR Discord, you get amazing deals with some of Vancouver's finest local businesses, such as Corner's Pub, Australian Boot Company, The Bite Kitchen, Rufus Guitar Shop, Vinyl Records, and The Cinematheque. For more information, visit citr.ca forward slash friends. of course the weather beautiful day today absolutely gorgeous and uh, the mountains uh, everything cool but lovely and tomorrow uh, well it's clear this evening but there'll be some cloud happening overnight and it's going to get cold we're going to go down to a minus two and then tomorrow will be cloudy with a 40% chance of uh, rain or possibly some wet snow at higher elevations tomorrow uh, throughout the day with a low of minus 2 and a high of 3. Then it's going to get significantly warmer for thir- for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. However, uh, we're going to be stuck with seasonal rain. Uh, Wednesday, rain with a low of 3 and a high of 7. Thursday, rain with a low of 8 and a high of 9. Not much change there. Friday, periods of rain. How's that? With a low of 8 and a high of 9. Saturday, periods of rain with a low of 6 and a high of 8. And Sunday, a little bit of a respite. Um, Only a 60% chance of a shower on Sunday. And uh, it'll be cloudy, of course, with a low of 4 and a high of 8. So that's basically the forecast for the week so uh, we hope that you uh, got out there today and appreciated the beauty of um, our city and surroundings on this uh, that incredible day today
1: you're listening to CITR 101.9 broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Honkameenem-speaking Musqueam people.
0: As I mentioned uh, before we heard all the messages... The passing of Natasha D'Agostino is truly tragic. She passed away in a car accident. Her family, of course, is devastated. We're all devastated um, by her uh, untimely untimely death. And uh, she was such a lovely young lady, uh, only in her early 20s and just beginning to... Uh, um, be heard. I know that she would uh, be recognized nationally very soon and perhaps even internationally. Um, wonderful singer and uh, the jazz community the music community in Vancouver is absolutely devastated at her passing and of course her extended family and her immediate family are asking um, They eventually there will be a celebration of her life uh, Etc., but uh, they're asking for privacy at this point, obviously. We're going to pay tribute to Natasha and play some albums from her released uh, recording entitled Endings Rarely Are. And uh, this is a recording that uh, can be um, purchased, if you don't have it, at uh, natashadagostino.com. And uh, I'm sure that uh, her estate would certainly appreciate that if you don't have this recording already. And we're going to hear some songs from it. She is accompanied by um, David Blake on guitar, Paul Ruska on bass, and Bernie Arai on drums. And we're going to hear a whole series of songs uh, from Natasha's album, Endings Rarely Are. That's uh, almost a prophetic title, just the more I think about it. The first tune we're going to hear, uh, we're actually going to begin the set with two standards. And I love the way she does these tunes. Uh, she had a great respect for um, the uh, standard tunes, the, the Cole Porter tunes, the um, famous tunes that uh, were standards over the years. And we're going to open with a tune by Frank Lesser called I've Never Been in Love Before. The second tune is a very famous tune written by Coots and Gillespie, the songwriting team. And it's a wonderful tune called You Go to My Head. Then we're going to hear an original by Natasha entitled Home. And the final tune is a tune that um, I'm sure when there is a celebration of her life, someone will sing this particular tune and will end the set with the beautiful song called I'll Be Seeing You. So here then, Natasha, the late, sadly, the late Natasha D'Agostino, David Blake on guitar, Paul Ruska on bass, Bernie Arai on drums, and we begin with I've Never Been in Love Before.
2: It's you, it's you forevermore, I've never been in love before, I thought my heart was safe, I thought I knew the score. Haunting refrain (laughs) And I find you of you. Yeah. That this heart of mine Hasn't a ghost of a chance races of the day traces of the day Sky. I'll be seeing you in all The chestnut trees, the wishing world. That this heart of mine embraces all day through. In that small cafe, the park across the way, the children's carousel, the chestnut trees, the wishing.
0: We paid a small tribute to a wonderful young lady who is no longer with us. She perished in an automobile accident January 6th. Her name, Natasha D'Agostino, and the Vancouver music and jazz community is absolutely devastated at her passing because she was just on the brink Of um, with this album, and of course, her um, public appearances at Tangent, um, Pat's Pub, Frankie's, um, a career that was really, really ready to take off. And sad to say, this is what we have right now from her legacy and this um, marvelous album. We heard four songs. Uh, Two standard tunes, an original by her, and actually three standard tunes. She was accompanied here by David Blake on guitar, Paul Rushka on bass, and Bernie Arai on drums. And this is from her album entitled Endings Rarely Are. And the first tune we heard was Frank Lesser's uh, I've Never Been in Love Before, the second tune was the beautiful Coots Gillespie tune entitled You Go To My Head. And tune number three was Natasha's original entitled Home. And tune number four had just David Blake on guitar accompanying her. And she sung the, uh, the great favorite by Sammy Fain entitled I'll Be Seeing You. Natasha D'Agostino, she's going to be missed. And... Uh, If you don't have this album, uh, you can get it by going online at Natasha D'Agostino, and that's uh, N-A-T-A-S-H-A-D-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-O dot com, Natasha D'Agostino dot com. And you can find this album on there. And uh, if you don't have it, you should have it. And, of course, the uh, proceedings from that will go to her estate. As I mentioned before, her family, uh, the community, is devastated. And you can imagine her family, uh, a loving family. And uh, they're absolutely devastated as well. And um, there will be eventually um, a celebration of her short life. And that is in the planning, but right now the family, of course, is asking for privacy. Natasha D'Agostino, a horrible loss. And we'll play more of her music on future shows. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9. My name is Gavin Mocker. We're going to change the pace a little bit and take you to a wonderful club that existed in Greenwich Village. And the club was the top of the gate. And, of course, uh, so many great musicians performed there and recorded there as well. And one of the great musicians to record there was pianist Junior Mance, Now, this is an album that I was not familiar with. Um, And my very good friend, and he's a frequent listener to this show, uh, sent this album to me because he told me I would like it. And, of course, as soon as I put it on, I realized, well, what did I miss? I should have got this album when it first came out. Um, My friend Larry Martin. (laughs) And uh, um, thank you, Larry, for this album. We're going to play a tune. Uh, the opening track from this album with Junior Mance, one of the great piano players, along with... Uh, he's retired now, and uh, unfortunately is not performing anymore, but he certainly uh, made his mark. Originally from Chicago, or Everston, Il- uh Illinois, uh, and then raised in Chicago on uh, in the Chicago jazz scene, and of course moved to New York, played with Dizzy Gillespie and all kinds of people, um, Junior on piano, Wilbur Little on bass, and my old friend Rudy Collins on drums. And this is a tune called Before This Time, Another Year, written by Junior Mance and performed by him. So here we go. The great Junior Mance on piano, really making the most of that Bo Diddley beat. Yeah. The tune was called Before This Time Another Year, I guess, celebrating uh, uh, almost uh, with a title like that, celebrating New Year's, right? And, of course, this is our first program of 2019. Junior Mance at the piano with Wilbur Little on bass and Rudy Collins on drums recorded at... uh, the top of the gate, uh, one of those great village vanguard or uh, clubs, um, and or <laughs> not village vanguard, Greenwich Village uh, jazz clubs, and uh, a lot of wonderful artists uh, played there and recorded there as well. At the top of the gate, all right, Junior Mance. And I'd like to uh, once again thank uh, my good friend Larry Martin for uh, giving me this uh, album, uh, which I overlooked over the years. I knew about it, but actually never really heard it. And when I put it on the, my uh, CD player at home, I said, gee, I've got to put this on the show. So uh, we'll be hearing more from this album in future shows. And thanks again, Larry, for that. Here is the great Wes Montgomery with his working band of the time, with Harold Mayburn on piano, who, of course, is still very much with us, Arthur Harper on bass, and my Aquarian brother. We were both born on the same day and the same year. Jimmy Lovelace on drums, the late, great Jimmy Lovelace on drums, and, of course, Wes Montgomery on guitar. This was recorded um, at uh, the Théâtre de Champs-Élysées in Paris in March of 1965 when Wes made the legendary tour with his regular working band there. And this is one of my favorite Wes Montgomery compositions. Um, it's, the title is dedicated to money. <laughs> we all know about money. And Wes Montgomery called it jingles mm mm-hmm. The late, great Wes Montgomery, with his working band of the time, recorded in Paris at the Théâtre de Champs-Élysées and on March 27, 1965. Wes Montgomery with uh, the still-living, what a legend he is, Harold Mayburn at the piano, Arthur Harper on bass, and Jimmy Lovelace on drums, and... Wes's great tune, one of my favorites, called Jingles. And what can you say about Wes Montgomery? Well, absolutely incredible. Wes Montgomery. Mm-hmm. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or live streaming, of course, on CITR.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and... In a few days, one of the great birthdays is going to be coming up. There's lots of great drummers born under the sign of Capricorn. Gene Krupa, um, uh, Sam Woodyard, uh, all kinds of drummers. Thurman Barker, um, uh, all kinds of uh, drummers seem to be, or prominent jazz drummers, seemed to be born under the sign of Capricorn. Kenny Clark, there's another one. Max Roach, of course, really made his mark on jazz, not only as a, a pioneer of modern jazz, a band leader, and a great civil rights uh, activist as well. Max uh, passed away, he was 83 years old, in August of 2007. And he was born uh, in... Paso County in North Carolina, January 10th, 1924. Now, some people say, including his members of his family, that say he might have been born on January 8th. His birth certificate is, uh, like for a lot of African-American people, sometimes the um, vital statistics are not always that accurate. Anyway, regardless, uh, he is... um, Max is having a birthday anniversary. And we're going to play an album, one of my favorites. This was kind of a comeback album because after the death in June of Clifford Brown, the great young trumpet player who was killed in a car crash, and along with uh, the regular piano player, Richie Powell, uh, who were both members of Max Ro- the Max Roach-Clifford Brown Quintet. Um, Max, of course, was absolutely devastated, and he took um, a long hiatus from uh, playing, recording, and literally doing anything. Um, he was so shaken by uh, Clifford's passing. But he managed to reform his quintet um, with basically the same personnel, Uh, of course, but uh, with replacements for Clifford Brown and pianist Richie Powell. And the new members of the quintet, of course, Max uh, leading the band on drums, Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone in incredible form, Um, Kenny Dorham had the unenviable position of taking Clifford Brown's place in the band. But Kenny Dorham is truly a jazz giant. He was underappreciated um, during his lifetime, but uh, uh, Kenny Dorham is now one of the most um, worshipped of uh, early modern jazz trumpeters, and uh, you'll hear why on this album. On piano, the great Philadelphia pianist Ray Bryant, and on bass, George Morrill. So we're going to hear some tunes from this album called Max Roach Plus Four, which was um, came out on originally on Mercury Records. The first tune is, I think, one of my favorite versions of this particular composition um, by George Russell. A very difficult tune. It's actually based on a standard. It's based on "Love for Sale," but it's an abstract. It's an abstraction of that tune, anyway. And it was named for George Russell's favorite fighter who was the great the great Ezra Charles so the tune was called Aesthetic. and Ezra Charles you know was a um, an amateur musician and he used to sit in with bands and he was a great uh, uh, african-american fighter so aesthetic is the first tune uh, the second tune is a wonderful version And Kenny Dorham is so beautiful on this tune of the great standard tune, Body and Soul, as played by the band. And we're going to end with another standard tune that features an incredible Sonny Rollins solo, uh, just one of those things. So we begin the Max Roach quintet. Kenny Dorham on trumpet, Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, Ray Bryant on piano, George Morrow on bass, and Max Roach on drums, and as that
1: mm <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: The great Max Roach. Max will be celebrating a birthday anniversary on January 10th. And I thought I'd uh, play something. One of my favorite Max Roach albums. This is, as I mentioned before, this is kind of a comeback album. Max took a long hiatus after the untimely death of his pianist, uh, Richie Powell, and his stellar trumpeter, Clifford Brown. Uh, They were killed in a car crash and um, Max ceased to perform for a while and record and do anything else. Um, and in a few months later in September, he reformed the quintet with Kenny Dorham on trumpet, the Uncrowned King, Ray Bryant on piano, and the other original members, Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, George Morrow on bass, and of course himself on drums. And we heard three compositions uh, from this uh, album, which originally came out on Mercury Records. First one was by George Russell, and it was named after Russell's favorite boxer, and that was Ezard Charles. And so he called the tune ez It's actually based on uh, the old standard uh, by Cole Porter, uh, Love for Sale, but a very abstract kind of version. So we heard aesthetic first, and then we uh, moved to a a wonderful uh, version of a great uh, standard ballad, uh, and everybody played so beautifully on it. We heard body and soul. And the final tune was an up-tempo version of a tune called Just One of Those Things with an amazing solo by Sonny Rollins, actually amazing solos by everybody, and uh, three tunes from this album called Max Roach, Plus Four. From September of 1956, Max Roach, one of the great pioneers of modern jazz, and one of the great pioneers of of modern jazz drumming. One of my good friends lives in Australia, and his name is Mike Nock. And Mike is an incredible piano player who played with uh, Youssef Latif, John Handy, um, all kinds of people, and um, moved back to uh, Australia, where he uh, now resides. And he just came through uh, recently um, a fairly uh, severe operation. But Mike, uh, he's just a little fellow, but he certainly has a lot of spirit and he's back, and um, he gave his first concert just recently to uh, Acclaim. And uh, Mike is uh, a great jazz spirit which, who will not be put down <laughs> by illness or infirmity or anything else. He, he's an amazing musician. We're going to hear um, two tunes uh, by Mike with his working trio. This was recorded a few years ago in Australia. And it was recorded um, at a place called the Sound Lounge in uh, Sydney. And uh, this is Mike on piano with uh, the Waples brothers, Ben Waples on bass, and his brother Jim Waples on drums. And, of course, Mike Nock on piano. These are two Mike Nock compositions. The first one is entitled Else When... And the second one is entitled Beautiful Stranger. So, here then, Mike Knock.